0: The Nonprofit Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders with interviews, profiles, and documentaries.
1: You're listening to the Nonprofit Hour on x-ray.fm. The show is brought to us by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. Today, we take a look at the Mackenzie River Gathering Foundation. Through their grant-making committees comprised of community organizers and changemakers, the foundation aims to allocate resources to create the deepest impact on the root causes of social inequity and environmental degradation. For more, we turn to our host, Phil Bussy.
2: This is Phil Bassi, it's the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. I am so happy to, actually, we're out of the studio and uh, on site at Mackenzie River Gathering. I'm joined today by Carol Tatch, who is the major giving director, Carol, did I get that right? You did. And also joined uh, from Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, Valeda Fulwood, who is author of Giving Back and also is uh, organizing an ongoing exhibit, The Soul of Philanthropy at Concordia, through March 31st. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. We are gonna start talking, uh, we're gonna take a large view and then get into the exhibit that's uh, going on right now. Um, Carol, let's start by talking to you and, The name Mackenzie River Gathering has always confused me a little bit, but it's a very literal
3: name. It is. Um, It's the Mackenzie River Gathering Foundation, and MRG was founded on the banks of the Mackenzie River in 1976. So they took that name, they took that location in as part of the space of making the name to kind of, it, it really, first of all, gives it a sense of, of, um, of location and place, and it has worked so far um, through these 40 years of having the organization. Somewhat confusing now that we're in Portland, um, so we ge- generally go by MRG Foundation now, but we do have those uh, those roots on the banks of the McKinsey and we're deeply rooted in that space and time. And that
2: idea of uh, sense of place is really central to uh, giving and the programming that uh, MRG does.
3: Absolutely. Um, our our focus, of course, is on. Um, giving out grants to uh, local organizations meaning statewide we grant statewide um, we give out grants uh, to organizations that are organizing for social justice and social change that has been our um, it's been, it's in our DNA um, we have a very fantastic model whereby we actually let activists make our grant making decisions it is not um, it becomes a final decision of the board but we don't have a uh, our board does not do that initial search through we have activists who are in the field and know what's needed in the communities and that really helps to inform the work that we do.
2: Let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. I find that really interesting. So you just open your door and a bunch of uh, activists uh, show up in the, in, in the boardroom and, and start
3: uh, Start wailing away. Um, no, we have we have. It's a very carefully um, a group of people who have identified themselves as being willing to help us make those very important decisions, and um, they meet twice a year um, to look at the roster of organizations that have um, applied to us for grants, and they are literally in a room hammering out the details from the first set of ha- having everybody in the in the space who's. Um, who can uh, who is eligible to apply to that next round where we actually um, have, call it presentation day, and we have um, potential prospect grantees come to a space where they talk about their organizations. Typically it's new people, new new groups or people who haven't presented for a while, and um, they talk about their organizations, and that day um, of presentation day is when our activist grant makers make the final decision about who's getting the money, how much they're getting, and we don't leave the room until it's done, until every dollar has been allocated.
2: That that seems like um, a very a, a different process than what a number of foundations do. Yes, and I would imagine a different process means a different result. Can you talk about uh, the money that is issued out? How do you see that comparing to what what other foundations, regional and local foundations, are doing?
3: Um, the most start the most. Um the largest difference with how we grant out is that we only grant to um, general fund. We do not require organizations to be project-based in order to um, receive a grant from MRG. Uh, we trust that they will do what they need to do with the money. And that has also been a part of our beginnings where we release that money into the hands of those who know how to do it, how to um, how to disperse it and use it, and we don't then oversee that. Um, we, we trust is what we do, um, which is uh, a lot of organizations um, get used to that, you know, they're like, oh, that's great. And it allows us to also understand that indeed by entrusting our grantees and potential grantees with the rights to do with the money, what they feel needs to be done to make their communities um, what they need to be, we have we have, in a way, given over power, which is something that foundations have a difficulty doing. Um, it's, it's if we're giving you the money, then we we have the power to steer how it happens. And MRG does not take that um, that position. It's we, we we have the money. We know you can put it to use out in the public, and we want you to do that. Tell us how you did it. Tell us what your victories were. Tell us what your challenges were. Um, we give technical assistance during the course of time. If people have difficulties with their application, we help them actually. Write their applications. We don't require the groups have 501c3, so we're willing to go with you if you have a fiscal sponsor. Um, that's another um, a big difference between what MRG does and other foundations. And it really means that the, the organizations that come to our door are very sincere in the work that they're doing and they understand that with that trust comes that responsibility and we have we consistently have seen over these 40 years that our trust is in no way um, challenged or failed upon.
2: That, that idea of giving over power in some ways to the grantees, uh, it's got to be a little bit nerve-wracking. I, I sort of have this image of a, of a parent uh, in the car teaching their teenage uh, son or daughter how to drive.
3: Indeed and that's kind of what it is. Um, we, are in the, we are in the passenger seat and we're um, for each of our grantees and we're there to watch them um, with their successes. We're there to help them with their stumbles. Um, we understand that there will be stumbles and we understand that, um, especially in the work of social justice, um, failure is part of the learning curve. And MRG has had um, that space to help people and organizations see that a failure may not be a failure if you've moved a step forward, because any movement in this field is uh, becomes an incredible victory, because what you see is advancement and not going backwards. And if you're not going backwards, then you are at least holding the line. If you're moving forward, then you're pushing that line. And that is the work of organizers and activists, to consistently and continuously push that line so that um, justice is realized. It's really important, and we are willing to sit in the passenger seat and watch that happen.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting. I I think some of that plays out. I know this is going back uh, a little bit before your time here, but after 9-11, MRG responded by, to global issues Absolutely. by giving money to Muslim organizations. Absolutely. Uh, how is that playing out right now in our new Oh, let's just call it political era.
3: Okay. It is playing out as consistently as it did before. Um, uh, indeed, right after 9-11, MRG um, was very intentional in its support of groups who were then being marginalized, um, including Muslim groups. And that we continue to, we continue with that, and um, including the fact that what MRG is known for is giving seed funding, meaning we're the first organization to fund and or another organization. We're the first foundation to fund them to make sure that they can get off of the ground. And even if it turns out that organization won't get funding from anyone else for that time, MRG will be there. Um, we do, we, we do, um, we continue to fund. We will fund you year after year. Um, that's another difference from MRG, uh, for MRG from the national foundation model. Um, but with, in this current political time, um, we're seeing that groups are gearing up to apply again because they already see. We see what's happening with the groups we already have they're already amping up their work um, to respond and mrg is placing itself in a space where it can help them respond um, an example a very quick example which is a little away from our grant make our general fund grant making or our capacity building grant making is we also do donor advised funds and we just had a donor advised fund holder create a um, a donor advised fund specifically for scholarships for immigrant people, Um, specifically so that they can go on to college, fulfill their dreams, understanding that not only were the times challenging before, but it's going to get worse. So we facilitated that in an effort to make sure that the money is continuing to go out um, to um, to the communities that will be impacted and have been impacted.
2: Carol Tatch is the major giving director for Mackenzie River Gathering, better known as MRG Foundation. Carol, how about a song to take a quick break?
3: Well, one of my new favorites, which a co-worker just introduced me to, and I can't believe I didn't know about it, is uh, Grandma's Hands by Bill Withers.
2: Let's take a listen. Mm -hmm. Mm
4: -hmm. Grandma's hands Clapped in church on Sunday morning Grandma's hey Played a tambourine so well Grandma's hand Used to issue out a warning She'd say Billy, don't you run so fast Might fall on a piece of glass Might be snakes there in that grass Grandma's hand the local unwed mother grandma's hand used to ache sometimes and swell grandma's hand used to lift her face and tell her she'd say baby grandma understands that you really love that man put yourself in jesus hands
2: grandma's hand that was Bill Withers, this is The Nonprofit Hour, I'm Phil Bussey, I am talking with Carol Tatch who is the Major giving Director for MRG Foundation. Let's talk a little bit about, I'm, I'm interested, obviously in, in some of the media support that you do and also how that ties into what we were talking about before the break of responding to current issues, the idea of quality media being out there is a very important issue. A uh, couple of radio stations last year received significant report, uh, A couple radio stations last year received significant support from MRG, uh, $10,000 for KSKU in Southern Oregon for the arts and LGBTQ reporting, KPOV received in Central Oregon for human rights issues. I find that really interesting. That's not a normal place for a lot of uh, regional foundations to give. Mm Can you take us into the decision-making process, how those grants came about? Okay.
3: Um, well, MRG has a long um, time history, of course, of funding that type of media, um, especially in rural areas of Oregon. Um, we find that our impact can be greatest sometimes in the rural areas because there is very little funding going into those spaces. And what, what is most common in those spaces is that the connection is the media. It's the radio. It's that opportunity for communities to organize and be vocal and that's what MRG is all about. How do we organize? How can we be vocal? How can we make sure the message is carried across? How do we make sure the work that you're trying to do as an organization is projected out into your community and beyond? And it's by supporting um, these media requests for grants that come in. Each grant is considered um, in its own space, so we actively seek those spaces where we're also integrating media into the work that we do and have been longtime time supporters.
2: And I don't know how else to phrase this question. Do you feel like you're winning the battle or do you feel like you're always rolling the stone up the hill?
3: I feel for myself as a fundraiser um, in this space and um, in looking at the work that MRG has done over these 40 years, I know that we are winning battles um, on the larger scale of the uh, of the arena. It, they may seem like small battles, but because of the work that MRG is doing in Oregon, we are actually affecting the work that's happening in Washington, and that is moving a boulder. So I think our work is just forward-moving at all times. Um, it is heavy lifting work. We understand that. It, it was, it, we were founded with the knowledge that this would not be easy, and um, we've been using as our tagline, you know, MRG, we've been here for 40 years helping, help us, you know, continue for 40 more, because we are a fundraising organization, um, and then and there's that space where I'm... You know, I get upset because I'm like, we shouldn't have to do this for 40 more years. But then there's that space where, you know what, if MRG is there, it will make the difference to the fight. So we are always winning battles.
2: How, How did you first get involved with giving?
3: in general it was at my mother's side Um, my my siblings and i grew up with um, a mother who was always giving in the community and she made it a point that we were part of that giving either we were giving our time we were in the grocery store at thanksgiving and there was the opportunity at safeway to buy a cart of food for someone who didn't have food and my mother would say we're buying two carts and then we'll get our own food and um, it was just very necessary in a part of our life. I have not known a time when I haven't been a giver and I make it important in my life today to continue that um, because if it's I'm also a Pisces so we give anyway <laughs> but there's this sense for me that if I'm not giving then i'm not i'm not I'm not using first of all I'm not using the skills I have as a fundraiser to help mrG I mean, in its giving purposes but then for myself personally I'm not fulfilled if I'm not helping others it has always I, Feels like it's always been the way I've been. So at my mother's knee is what I'll say. That's where I started.
2: And you 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 touched on this very briefly, but MRG Foundation is also a bit different in that it didn't have one major uh, funder to start with. It really was a group of people that started to fund it, and that continues today. And part of your job is to bring in uh, major or to bring in donors. Yes. Define funding. So it's interesting that you know you, uh, as you were just talking about from your moms and your family's experiences as being generous and giving, you also need to bring that out in people.
3: Yes. Yes.
2: How does uh, can you talk to me about some of those conversations you have to people of like why it's important to give?
3: Absolutely. Um, And I'll also say um, for our our beginnings, we did have one major donor, um, Leslie Brocklebank. um, and her husband John Gray donated the $500,000 $500, that started MRG. And then there, we did have additional funds come in from the gatherers. So it was a, a very much a group effort. Um, and how that translates to today's giving and how I um, speak to donors is um, one of the biggest joys is um, the language of social justice is a very common one. So, as people are looking at um, the injustices that are happening, whether they are culturally based, racially based, ethnically based, um, based on religion, based on um, abilities, everyone or many people are experiencing something which lets them understand they're not getting their full share of of this space. And um, if they can donate to make sure that the work of MRG continues, then we found a common ground. Um, We both want social justice, we both want equity and this sense of equality we both want everyone to be to live in a just and joyful world and so i kind of when i have this approach with my when i have the conversations with my donors i actually am having a conversation with people who are already there and it's just a matter of saying what is the mrg difference and we've elucidated many of those through these um through this conversation here Um, mrg's work is truly uh different in how we approach how those changes happen, mainly by putting the, the, um, the strength back into the hands of those most affected. And when we can say that, when I can say that to donors, when that is our tagline, when that is how we actually perform our actions. Then we have kind of sold it ourselves, and people are, are eager to be to become part of the MRG family and then to find the different ways that their support can make a difference for the communities.
2: And you've been in Oregon for a decade or so now. Have you seen changes uh, in giving and, and that, that attitude of giving or changes in the programming that MRG Foundation, uh, supports.
3: Yes, um, one of the biggest changes was the advent of our capacity building initiative, which was uh, which is still underway. It's going into its second year, and it was a partnership with Meyer Memorial Trust. Um, the creation of the capacity building initiative actually enables MRG is enabling MRG for ten groups to really see what a, a, a large infusion of technical assistance, um, grant funds, and um, the support that they need to level up to actually make their work. Not not just more relevant, but also more impactful. Um, it's just been amazing watching these groups just blossom under this care. And um, our, our, you know, what we're trying to prove is if you put the money into the movement, you're gonna get back the um, the, the, the responses and the, um, the returns that you need, and that's what we're seeing. So that has been one of the most wonderful things that I've seen since my time here. Um, with regards to the General giving, the philanthropic field, and and the foundation giving field, um, I'm I, you know in my time here over this decade, I've seen a, a back and forth, and I have conversations with my colleagues at both at other foundations and at organizations that are recipient of, from those foundations to really try to figure out. Um, For myself I'm trying to figure out what is the holdup you know why aren't we why aren't more funds being released into the communities to help them um, do the work that needs to be done when that work is so clear um, that I I can sit in this space at MRG and say well we trust our community to do with our funds what needs to be done but we have the limit of everything we fundraise for is what we grant out so that limit of um, having having our donation, our donor ability, our foundation giving ability, be restricted to um, how our donors give to us, but then for foundations that don't have that restriction, really trying to understand the hesitation. Um, it has worked for us as, a, as an amazing model for 40 years. And with 40 years behind you of success, the questions start to fade away. Um, it, it's no longer a question of, will that work? The question is, how can we make this work better? And MRG is constantly trying to find ways to, how do we make this work better and affect our funding partners in a way that enables them to feel that same sense of, um, of release to make these communities exactly what they are indeed trying to create anyway.
2: Carol Tatch is the major giving director for MRG Foundation. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Valeta Forward, who is the author of Giving Back and is part of the exhibit of solo Philanthropy at Concordia through March 31st. Uh, Carol, one more song from you.
3: Yes, I'm going to go with another Bill Withers, Lean on Me, which has been with me my entire life.
1: just tuning in, you're listening to the Nonprofit Hour from the Media Institute for Social Change on xray.fm. To become a supporting member of the Media Institute and find out more about their work, you can visit mediamakingchange.org. Members receive annual benefits and support programs such as the Nonprofit Hour and the Media Institute's Summer Documentary Program.
2: You're listening to the Nonprofit Hour on xray.fm. We are at Kenzie River Gathering Foundation right now, we've been speaking to Carol Tatch, who's the major uh, giving's director for the foundation. One of that, some of that money is going to support an exhibit that is at Concordia uh, University through March 31st. And Valeda Fullwood is the person who is organizing that. Uh, Valeda, welcome first.
5: Thank you so much.
2: And you're, you just came in from Charlotte, North Carolina.
5: Yes, I'm thrilled to be here.
2: You are an author, you're an artist. Yes. And you are a curator now, is that right?
5: Well, at least a creator of the exhibit, The Soul of Philanthropy, reframed and exhibited. Tell me
2: what the Soul of Philanthropy exhibit is.
5: The Soul of Philanthropy exhibit is an artful Um, display of stories of giving, born out of uh, traditions of giving in black communities. And um, in essence, it's a reminder that philanthropy is deeper than your pockets. And to um, allow viewers to know some of the, a broader definition of philanthropy. There's a lot to
2: unpack there what is the goal? What is the goal of sharing stories of giving?
5: Yes, I'll share. I'll go back. Um, I wrote a book um, that was published around five years ago. It was called Giving Back A Tribute to Generations of African-American Philanthropists. And I set out to write the book about five years prior to its publishing. And I work in the field of philanthropy as a consultant and writer. And I was often struck by the absence of inclusive stories of giving. And it seems Most in the philanthropic community or the uh, conventional philanthropic field, philanthropy is defined very narrowly, and it's often fixed on the monetary aspects of it, and oftentimes limited to stories of old or dead, wealthy white men. And while that is a portion of the story and a significant force in American philanthropy, there's a bigger story and a bigger picture. And so in writing Giving Back, my aim was to reframe portraits of philanthropy and to expand beyond a very narrow, conventional thinking about philanthropy and to reclaim the root meaning, the Greek love of humankind, or i break it down even further, um, love of what what it means to be human and use that definition and then um, interviewed uh, people in my community to lift up stories of giving from the Black community, and um, some um, people of great wealth, and others just everyday people giving what they have and making significant sacrifices to bring change in their communities.
2: It's interesting when you, when when you go to the uh, the when you go to the Latin root of the word. Greek, and as, yes. as as a fill, uh, I, I am very you know, proud of when, when people do recognize what, what the word actually means. I mean, but it also really speaks to the sense of community.
5: Precisely. You
2: know, it, it's not just the idea of just giving money, but you're giving because you want to see something grow or something prosper.
5: And connection as humans that we have, and all of us having our um, challenges and struggles and successes and uh, recognizing it's part of a cycle, it's part of being human, and really bringing it back down to that core meaning and um, tapping in deeper and I think in more potent ways by doing so than being solely focused on how many um, zeros are behind the dollar sign.
2: And and as somebody that uh, intellectually thinks a lot about philanthropy, I'm I'm curious how and, and you touched on this a little bit, that it's not just about big donations, but it is it is about giving back, and, and I know you said it's not just about money, but I, I am curious about how do things like Kickstarter play into that? Has that changed the mentality of giving in that you can give $5, $10, and that's a significant contribution to a project or a program?
5: Absolutely. Um, Kickstarter is an example, and GoFundMe are examples of new innovations in philanthropy, and are um, examples of how people are thinking about giving and community change in different ways and where small amounts can make a huge difference. Um, The uh, Obama election in 2007 showed the power of small gifts. Um, Lots of groups already recognize that, but that was a big example of um, the power of philanthropy when we think beyond um, big
3: checks.
2: And, and I, wanna, I wanna talk a little bit more about uh, your book, which is the springboard for the exhibit currently yes. at Concordia. Uh, did you, how did you go about collecting these stories?
5: Yes, well, um, I set out by reaching out to people who were noted philanthropists and givers and generous. And rather than asking them to talk about their own giving, I asked, who inspired you to give? And then as they reflected on, perhaps it was a grandparent or a teacher or a coach or a spouse whose giving was exemplar- exemplary and um, inspired them to, to be more generous. And so the book, which is uh, about 400 pages. It's a beautiful book. Thank it's you, thank you. It's a great book. And I collaborated with the photographer Charles Thomas. He captured the photography, um, portraits of uh, philanthropy and philanthropist. And um, so I interviewed these individuals um, over the course of the four and a half years. It was over 200 black donors and had a range of stories. Surprised me in many ways. I, I, at the, initially, I thought it would all be elders in our community. But in reality, um, there were some examples of that, but many people um, chose to spotlight peers and even younger generations sometimes a mentor was inspired by their mentee and would share that story so it truly is a range from um, 16 to 92 as far as the the stories that are featured in the book
2: now you just said that one of the the central questions that you were asking is who inspired you to give so obviously i now need to ask you that question who inspired you to Uh have a mentality of our spirit of giving
5: I'm very happy you ask that in fact the woman who inspired me her hands are featured on the book and it is my great aunt dora uh, aunt dora is 95 years old um vibrant still driving today living independently and i attribute a lot of that to her gener- generous spirit um she inspired me because she had always been a giver and active in her community a den mother, a uh, grandmother, a foster mother, the mother of the church as a a pastor. And when she was retiring in her 70s, my mother called and told me that she'd begun serving meals in a public housing project in my mother's hometown. And I thought, what, I mean, Aunt Dora's in her 70s? Why is she out there doing that? If anybody has served and deserves to to, uh, rest on their laurels, it would be Aunt Dora. And I later learned that Andor was very intentional and as she approached retirement, went on a silent retreat and asked what next. And for her, over the course of that weekend, it was revealed Feed the Hungry. And so she founded our Daily Bread Soup Kitchen, which today feeds over 10,000 meals a year and um, has grown. She pours her social security checks into building a new bigger facility to serve more people, and only until about two years ago was still working in the kitchen and serving on a board, but she since retired, stepped back a little bit, but um, still quite active. And so I learned through her that um, if we're fortunate, and perhaps I'll have 95 years, I don't know, that uh, we can be of service and philanthropist for a lifetime.
2: That is, that is a very inspiring story. Uh, Valida Fullwood is the author of Giving Back and is also uh, has organized the Soul of Philanthropy exhibit at Concordia through March 31st. How about a song?
5: Yes. Um, I love Mercy, Mercy by Marvin Gaye.
2: Great song, amazing album. Let's take a listen. Oh, mercy, mercy
6: me all things ain't what they used to be now. No. Where did all the blue skies go? Poison is the wind that blows from the north and south. And Oh, mercy, mercy, me. All things ain't what they used to be now. Oil wasted on the
1: oceans.
2: We are talking with Valeta Forward, who is the author of Giving Back, and your book is uh, the tagline, A Tribute to Generations of African-American Philanthropists. Talk about the difference between African-American philanthropy and other communities.
5: Yes. So one of the distinctions is um, our history in America and the fact that um, we were often denied Access to traditional institutions of philanthropy up until just a few decades ago. And um, also, um, because of our history in America as enslaved people, that uh, wealth in our community isn't as great as um, in the white community. So as a result, since our uh, landing on the shores, Many of our traditions of giving and philosophy and beliefs about giving are grounded in um, African principles. There's one in particular, Ubuntu, which means I am because you are. So um, very much a sense of community. And in fact, going back to the uh, reminiscent of the Greek word philanthropy, and recognition of our shared humanity. And I think that is a thread, throughout our history in philanthropy and in giving. And um, our gifts are oftentimes smaller gifts. Collective giving is a key principle. And so we can have huge impact with numbers. And also, it was important to lift up these stories and examples and traditions because many of these traditions were covert. I mean, folks couldn't know how we were giving and supporting each other because, um, in a sense, it was a form of activism and uh, pushing back against uh, oppressive society. And so some of the institutions, some of the ways aren't widely known even today by the broader American public. So it was important to lift these up, not only for all Americans to know, but particularly important for black Americans to know because um, historically our giving, maybe because it is small dollars and sometimes because it was off the radar, um, we don't even see our giving as philanthropy. And despite the fact that Research by Kellogg Foundation and other philanthropic institutions show that African Americans give a larger share of our disposable income to philanthropic causes than any other racial group in America. And even so, we're seen as non-givers and often not even considered um, by fundraising groups. And again, within the community, we often are dismissive or discount the giving that we actually do.
2: I think you know it, it, it is um, the historical context, uh, and, and you're talking a little bit more about the uh, lack of a better word, but a grassroots of of that type of giving. At the same time, especially in the last few decades, there have been some very prominent, uh, iconic uh, African Americans. I'm thinking of Oprah, and I'm of course thinking of the Obamas. Uh, and how how have you seen that set a tone? Because I mean. There's probably no better example than Oprah for, for giving, and certainly the Obamas have set a tone of generosity over the last eight years. Does that play out?
5: Yes, I think it's fantastic, and I think um, their giving and their ability to give um, major gifts, large gifts, um, have helped get it on the, the radar, our giving. And I think it's important to note that oftentimes they're giving, if you hear Oprah's stories or the Obamas' stories, are born out of traditions and beliefs in the African American community about our shared uh, humanity and um, tied destiny and recognition of that. So um, even though they're giving big dollars, like um, you know wealthy white do- donors have traditionally, um, their stories of why they're giving often are reflective of traditions of black giving, and I think that giving also inspires um, other donors to give, and in fact. Part of the reason for the book Giving Back and the exhibit, The Soul of Philanthropy, is to remind people that you don't have to wait to win the lottery or to become a professional athlete or to be Oprah. You can be as strategic and thoughtful with your gifts and impactful as large donors, as a Bill Gates. And um, even with your small dollars, to be very conscious of how you give. And in fact, that's um, a tagline for the exhibit is to inspire conscious giving for social change. So while African Americans historically and today are very generous and the data bears that out, um, I believe there's an opportunity for us to be even more strategic and um, to celebrate the giving traditions that we have and to be more conscious in how we give and to create change.
2: Valeda Forward is the author of Giving Back. I encourage people to go check out the Soul of Philanthropy exhibit at Concordia through March 31st. One more song.
5: Yes, how about Wake Up Everybody by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes.
2: Let's get it going.
1: If you're just tuning in, You're listening to the Nonprofit Hour, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change. This show was made possible with the support of WVDO, the leading provider of nonprofit fundraising training and career resources in Portland and the Willamette Valley. Find them at wvdo-or.org. Wake up
6: everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war and poverty. Wake up, all the teachers, time to teach a new way. No forget, no better We gotta change it now Just you and me Wake up all the doctors Make the old people well They're the ones who suffer And who catch all the hell But they don't have so very long Before their judgment day So won't you make them happy they pass away Wake up all the builders Time to build a new land I know we could do it If we all in a hand The only thing we have to do Is put it in our minds Surely things will work out They do it every time Just let it be. Na, 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 the world won't get no better. We gotta change again. Yeah. Just you and me. Change again. Change again. Just you and me. Change again. Change. And go it alone. Some help, y'all. y'all, Can't do it alone. Can't do it alone. Yeah, yeah. Wake up, everybody. Wake up, everybody. Need a little help, y'all. Yes, I do. Need a little help. Oh, Say it for me. Some help, y'all.
1: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Nonprofit Hour brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change. One of the programs offered by the Media Institute is called Radio U. This multi-week course helps students learn the art and science of audio documentary production. Classes are delivered by professionals working in the field at no cost. Students will learn how to select subjects for their work, contact interviewees, conduct interviews, as well as record, edit, and process audio material. By the end of the course, each student will complete a radio piece that profiles a local organization. Next, we'll take a listen to one of these documentaries created by Radio U graduate Elise Heron. She recently visited the Alberta Free Hutch, an all-hours donation space where you can drop off and pick up used items of all kinds.
7: So you're currently standing in our, our storage shed, which is all of the hangers are full and there are also bags and bags and bags of stuff. There are so many freaking clothes. My name is Lydia Grijalva and um, I am a co-coordinator of the Alberta Free Hatch.
0: And I'm Joseph Druschel, the other co-coordinator of the Alberta Free Hutch. What it does is act as a 24-7 uh, donation space where, where people in the community can freely give and take and trade with each other. Painted
8: orange and pink, made from reclaimed wood, adorned with stickers, and filled to the brim with stuff, the Alberta Free Hutch is a little hub of activity. But it hasn't always been that way. In fact, what's now a well-organized structure started as a collection of messy free boxes. It was called the Free Tale Store, and its unkept appearance led to a few complaints.
0: Yeah, so my project uh, started as... Um a developing a an alternative currency or researching alternative currency and I started looking around and I I, I had already been motivated to do something about the free store store um, and the the nuisance complaints
8: In an alternate economy money is moot and such an economy was starting to take root at the new and improved hutch but everything came to a screeching halt when Joseph and Lydia found out they'd have to move Transport via bike trailer would no longer be possible. The two counted their losses and they put up a sign. The hutch days were over.
7: The community was like, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. You can't close. And people totally showed up. Like, we've consistently had five to 10 volunteers this entire time, and it continuously blows my mind. It just like, goes to show the kind of community that's like actually been facilitated through the structure. We have one volunteer, Shay, who's amazing.
8: I would say I've been officially volunteering for about a year now. I feel like my needs are so taken care of and I don't have to buy stuff anymore. And I used to have that compulsion completely. I really did. I, I've been to therapy for, for purchasing. Like I would spend $150 a month on clothing alone. So, you know, I can tell that it can be like a, um, mental block sort of to overcome. I don't know how to tell people to get <laughs> to get around that, but I think just um, I think this kind of thing is so good because it plants a seed in people's brains of, hey, look, that's not garbage they're giving away. Maybe I can feel free to give some of my things away too. Joseph, Lydia, and Shay. Talk about something called a sharing economy, or an alternate economy. Giving is a big part of it, and so is taking.
7: One of our goals is to destigmatize need.
0: It's definitely a no-questions-asked experience. There's always more than enough stuff to go around. Mm -hmm. And if someone comes through and takes all the clothes in the hush, that's great. That means we can put more out. (laughs) (laughs) There's plenty to go around.
8: In short, there are a lot of ways to build up a community and volunteering with the Alberta Free Hatch could be a pretty good one.
7: I feel like especially after a very tumultuous election um, people are really starting to think about how they interact with their community and I think a lot of people are like becoming new activists. I've really found that having smaller projects in the community is like more empowering because it's sustainable and I want to encourage people to if you don't if you don't get involved with the Free Hatch like Find out what's going on in your neighborhood. Talk to your neighbors because resilient communities who know each other well are the ones that are going to survive a crazy bigot president.
8: <laughs> to a country on the brink of change, a famous president gives this advice. Show up. Dive in. Stay at it. And the Alberta free hutch may be proof of a community that has done just that.
1: That story came to us from Elise Herron. Next, we'll hear from Barb Seaman, another graduate from the Media Institute's Radio U course. She recently won Best Documentary and Best in Show at the X Ray Awards for her radio documentary "Homeless Hospitality." In this next piece, Barb takes us courtside with the Unified Basketball Team.
9: No, dribble, dribble.
10: Twenty-eight boys and girls play on the Washougal Unified team. So
6: weird
8: playing over here and I threw the ball up there
10: and it was
6: awesome <laughs> yeah I went straight down
10: <laughs> a lot of them have some kind of disability physical limitations intellectual challenges autism they play right alongside their typically developing peers
9: nice capacity okay shoot it glorious
10: shoot it. that's the coach Danny Allen She taught special ed in this district for 15 years and had a lot of these kids in class at one time or another. She worried that they never really felt like they fit in at school.
9: At school, yes, they do have some interactions, but it's very limited because when you're in class, you're supposed to be quiet. Um, You're supposed to learn, do your work, that kind of thing. A lot of times, people don't want to interact with people with disabilities because of a fear thing. They don't know what it's like. And this way they see, hey, you know what, they're just... They're just normal people, and they just want to have friends just like everybody else.
10: She told herself that if she ever got out of teaching special ed, she'd start a team.
9: I loved working with the kids. It was the paperwork, the lesson plan, IEP meetings, and conferences, school, after school, writing papers, behavior plans, paperwork, that bogs you down, and the politics with everything.
10: So a couple years ago, when she switched to teaching art, Danny got in touch with Special Olympics, which runs the Unified program. They gave her a grant to buy uniforms and equipment.
9: The first practice, I kind of said in my head, what did I get myself into? The balls were bouncing off of everybody's feet. They weren't going anywhere close to the net. They weren't even hitting the rim or the backboard. It was it was balls everywhere, <laughs> kids everywhere.
10: Can you tell me why you like playing on this team?
9: Because it's fun.
10: What's fun about it?
4: Just the joy of it. It's just fun shooting around and and hanging out with each other.
10: What do you like about playing on this basketball team? Yeah, good. You like it? Yeah. What's fun about it? Yeah. What do you like? Shooting. I love playing I love
4: playing. The partners.
10: typically developing kids partners are out there mainly to support the special needs kids. They're called athletes. They're good at grabbing the rebounds, helping to dribble the ball down the court and feeding the ball to the athletes so they can make a shot at the basket.
9: To watch the athletes and the partners work together, oh, I get so much joy. The other team might take the ball away from one of our athletes, then our partners get very defensive and they go and take that ball away from them. Um, They stick up for each other. Tyler Bolin
10: is a senior who plays varsity football and baseball. He played as a partner last year and came back for more this season.
9: It doesn't matter if you're LeBron James or some kid that doesn't know anything about basketball. You're part of the team.
10: Here's Abby Young, another one of the partners. Um, they have a lot of challenges
8: in their life and they're always happy. So I say just make the most out of your day and always be happy.
9: I try to be super supportive of them because I understand that it's, I mean, whether they think of it or not, it's a hardship. And they make the most of
6: it.
8: By playing unified, I think the kids are a lot more happy and they when they see you in the hallway, they actually like like to interact with you instead of just, oh hi. But they actually have things to talk
9: about. You don't get to see that interaction in the classroom. You don't get to see other kids giving from you know, general ed kids high fiving them in the hallway and um, doing all those kind of social connections that are just unbelievable. So they want to go out there with their their friends um, when they're in the hallways and they're walking and somebody says hi to them and gives them a high five. It just makes them feel that much more included. Um, You can tell in their confidence and in just in how they hold themselves. They even just hold themselves when they walk a little bit different. They have a little bit more pride. You guys are so awesome, you made my day. As the second
10: season starts, the unified team gets as many cheers as the school's double-A teams and the athletes feel more like they belong.
1: That's all for this week's Nonprofit Hour. We'd like to thank this week's guests, Carol Tatch, the Major Giving Director of the McKenzie River Gathering Foundation, and Valeda Fullwood, author of Giving Back, a tribute to generations of African-American philanthropists. The MRG Foundation will be presenting Fullwood's art exhibition, The Soul of Philanthropy, at Concordia University from January 20th to March 31st, 2017. The exhibition explores African-American philanthropy experiences and giving traditions grounded in faith, mutuality, responsibility, and social justice. Our radio show is proud to have support from Business Works Incorporated. Business Works specializes in small business accounting needs of all kinds, from payroll to -to day-to-day bookkeeping and beyond. The Nonprofit Hour is a production of the Media Institute for Social Change and KXRY Radio, X-Ray.fm. Our host is Phil Bussey, and our producer and editor is Henry Leisha. This show's short radio documentaries were produced by Elise Heron and Barb Seaman. You can follow The Nonprofit Hour on Facebook or via our Twitter handle, at Nonprofit Hour. Archives of past shows can be found on our SoundCloud page, and questions, comments, or ideas about the show can be sent to nph at mediamakingchange.org. Thanks for tuning in to The Nonprofit Hour on KXRY Radio, xray.fm. Join us on Monday mornings at 6 a.m. and Tuesday afternoons at 1. Have a great week.